You know, I was thinking, uh, it's nice when you get a chance to sit down during worship. I, I chose the sitting down option that the worship leaders gave us this morning. And um, just thinking about, um, like, we're alive. It's a miracle, like, to have, to have a, a, another day to live. And um, to not just go through the motions of, like, you know, church, but to say, like, God has me in this, this moment, and, and Lord, I want, I want to hear from your spirit. I, 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 want, I want you to speak to my heart about how I need to move forward in my life. And, and as we were, we were praying, um, I mean, we, we've been seeking God about where to, where to head in 2021 um, as a church. And so today begins a, a, a new sermon series from the Gospel of Mark entitled, The Power of Christ to Heal. And I just remember like pressing in November, December, just uh, God, like I... I, I I want you to speak to me, right, as much as you're, because I'm hard-headed, right? Anyone else here hard-headed, right? And, and James 1 says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him, let him ask of God, who gives generously. So I was like, God, I just, I want to, 2021, like, I want to walk with the Spirit, And God, I just was, you know, just praying and, 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 and um, you know, and as a team and as, as pastors and as staff, like, I, I, I know that we're, we're really seeking God. We're, we're praying to God. And, and I, I just remember when it, when it hit me exactly, at least this, this first sermon series, um, this word healing came to my mind. This word healing, like, like if I could summarize this series in one word, it's, it's the word healing. I mean, in light of 2020, and obviously it carried into 2021, <laughs> happy new year, right? Like, we need healing as, as, as a world. We need healing as a church. We need healing in our, our individual lives. We need healing as a country. And listen, if you were to pin me down theologically, I cannot deny that Jesus has the power to heal. Now, now, as soon as I bring up healing, the Gospel of Mark, right? Um, I, I have to give a couple disclaimers. I'm, I'm not talking about TV healers. I'm not talking about you know bringing in a, a different faith healer you know every week that is gonna. Um, you know, strike you to the ground and, 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 and you're going to be healed. Okay? I'm not talking about Steamtown Church, you know, joining um, a, 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 a hyper-charismatic movement. When, when, I, when I say healing, I'm simply saying that I believe that Jesus has the power to heal something in our lives. I hate to be a minimalist, but I know as soon as you mention the word healing, um, you know, we go to the extremes. Can I get an amen or an a woman? Just kidding. I, I, had to, I had to do it this week, you know. 
I mean, when you read the book of Mark in, in the New Testament, Mark doesn't play games. He gets right to his point. Ch- check out verse 1. Mark works off of a premise. It's, it's the entire foundation of this book. And, and here's, here's the premise. Mark chapter 1 and verse 1. The text reads, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. Now, now here's what I want you to note. He says, the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. So so in some way, Jesus has this, this incredible relationship with the Father, so much so that he's called the Son in, 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 in Mark chapter 1 and verse 1. And so everything works off of this premise that, that Jesus is the eternal, preexistent Son of God. And, and so the rest of Mark is, is filled with stories and it's filled with miracles that defend that premise. So in Mark we see that Jesus has power over sickness. We see that Jesus has power over demons and spiritual battles and mental illness, and emotional distress, and physical ailments. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, we see that, that Jesus even has power over nature and death itself. In fact, according to the whole of Scripture, the whole of the New Testament, there is nothing in this world that isn't under the power and healing ability of Christ. That that is awesome. Never forget the preeminence and place and position of Jesus in the life of the believer. So throughout this series, we're just going to be seeking God for healing in our lives. So this morning, um, you should have received what we're calling a, a 924 card. Okay, if, if, if you didn't get one of these cards, I want to encourage you uh, to, to get it. Um, this is awesome. This is like a Steamtown original 924 card. Okay, the, the 924 card uh, is based off of Mark chapter 9 and verse 24. Okay, so, so I know this is profound stuff. 924 card, Mark 924. And, and so Mark chapter 9 and verse 24 is going to be the key verse for this series. And, and here's, here's the, 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 the story in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 is a story in, 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 um, where there's this desperate father. And, 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 and his son is demon-possessed. Some of you can, can relate in the sense that as fathers, like you can have those moments you're just so desperate for your kids, for them to be healed. Maybe there's an area. And, and the father is so desperate. This is what he, what he says to Jesus. He says, Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now check it out. This To which Jesus graciously replies, look at it. If you can 
verse 23, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. So these 924 cards, what they do is they recognize that tension in our lives. Like, God, I do believe you can address this area of healing in my life. In this case, it was a, it was a plea for not the father for the father, but the father for the son. And so maybe your minds automatically are going to someone else that needs healing. This verse, Mark 9.24, recognizes that tension between our belief and our unbelief. I do believe, Jesus, help me overcome my unbelief. And in this case, in Mark chapter 9, the boy was healed. Amen. For those online, there was a child that said amen at the point the boy was healed. (laughs) And so these cards have the simple purpose of confessing and praying over an area of our lives that you are going to seek God in healing. Here's what the, the card reads. My desire is to find healing and restoration and then, and then mark it in this area of my life. Something to pray about uh, for the online. Um, we're gonna, we'll, we'll probably throw that up in the comments section. Um, but just grab your... Uh, your diary, if you're a guy, grab your journal, you know, and, and just jot down an area that, that you're going to seek uh, healing, whether it be physical healing like sickness, an emotional issue like anger, a spiritual issue such as uh, rejection of God. We want to, as a church, we're talking about heading in a direction in 2021, and we want to seek healing. Lord, I believe Help me overcome my unbelief, ultimately surrendering to whatever God has, whatever his will is. Sometimes he chooses to not remove something from our life. Of course, all of these matters are according to the will of God. Now this morning, I want to introduce you uh, to the book of Mark. When it comes to any book of the Bible, any of them, I think it is good to give a reminder that that the Bible as a whole, the entire Bible, is inspired and authored by God. Now, now what does that, that, that mean? Did you, did you know that, that the Bible is God's word? And so when we, we come to Mark, we believe we are coming to something sacred. We are coming to something holy. We are asking the Spirit of God to speak to our hearts and to, to speak to our, our lives. I want to propose to you three reasons why we believe and we claim that the Bible is the Word of God. Number one, we claim that the Bible is the Word of God because the Bible claims inspiration. It wasn't like somebody opened up the Bible and was like, oh, this is a really, this is a pretty jazzy book. Pretty life-changing. Pretty spot on. It must be the Word of God. No, it's actually the opposite. The Bible claims in and of itself to be from God. 
I could point you to many scriptures, but I want to show you three. John chapter 14 and verse 26 says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And, and that's the Gospels. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will bring all these things to your remembrance. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 is one of the classic ones. Ch check this out. I love this, right? It says all scripture. Not a little bit. Not the ones that I like and the ones that... It's all, all scripture is God-inspired, God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So, so you see here, the Bible in it, I mean, there are hundreds of verses we could point to. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. Check out 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. It says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture, none of it, came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Check out verse 21. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, here it is, spoke from God. So in this passage you see that God used men to record his thoughts and words as they note were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Number one reason. Why do we believe the Bible is the word of God? The Bible claims it in and of itself. Number two. And for me, this number two is, is actually one of the, the, the top reasons that I am convinced that the Bible is the word of God. And once again, this is important because as we're doing an intro and a background to a book, we, we can forget these things at times, right? Right? Number two, fulfilled prophecy. Fulfilled prophecy. I mean, every world religion has holy books. Christians, um, Jews, Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists. But here's what's unique to the Judeo-Christian faith. Here's what's unique to Christianity it's this feature called fulfilled prophecy. Only the Bible has this feature called fulfilled prophecy. And it contains hundreds of prophecies that have been fulfilled. I've heard upward that there are 1,000 prophecies. Prediction of the future. You following me? Upward to 1,000 of them, that 500 of them have already been fulfilled. I mean, there's lots of holy books in our world. There's lots of great books. I'm reading Diary of a Wimpy Kid. What? What? I'm not, I'm not wimpy. There, there's lots of books in the world studied by scholars. Each of them have their laws and rules and poetry and descriptions of God and the afterlife and how the world was created. They all have these features. But listen, I'm telling you this. This, this is something known 
By those who study these things, only the Bible has a feature called fulfilled prophecy. See, in, in the Old Testament, it was the ultimate way to test whether a prophet was true or not. Do you understand anyone can claim to be from God? Anyone can claim to be a prophet? Any, and, and there's no way to challenge that claim except if they what they predict about the future comes True. Now, interestingly, look at how the book of Mark starts. It starts with an Old Testament prophecy and its fulfillment. Mark chapter 1 and verse 1 says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. I, I don't think we, we can quite grasp um, 351 prophecies are given about the Messiah in the Old Testament. There are 351 predictions about the Messiah in the Old Testament. I want you to think about that. It is statistically impossible Statistically impossible for Jesus to not be the Messiah. Check out verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, 700 years prior, I will send, verse 2, a, my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Verse 4 says prophecy fulfilled. And so John the Baptist appeared 700 years later in the wilderness. And you have to ask the question, how did Isaiah do that? How could he predict that John the Baptist was going to come 700 years prior? And that's just one prophecy. How did he do that? How did that happen? How did he foresee the future? And here's the bottom line. You cannot make a prophecy 700 years prior unless God is doing that. You can't make an educated guess because the Bible has a supernatural source. Only the Bible has fulfilled prophecy. How do we know the Bible is the the word from God, the Bible claims inspiration, number one, fulfilled prophecy, number two. And let me propose to you a third reason, even though there's more, the quality of the Bible. I know I always appreciate this reminder when I'm, when I'm listening to pastors and when I'm at churches. I love this reminder how the Bible is 66 books written by 40 different authors. Many of them never even met or knew each other. Written over a period of 1,600 years. Written on three different continents. Asia, Europe, Africa. Written in three languages. Aramaic, Hebrew, 
and Greek, yet there is no contradictions, there is no mistakes, and there is one unified thread and story all throughout Scripture. It's about God's glory and the eternal plan of salvation. I mean, we can't even get the facts straight in 2020. We can't even get the facts straight in the little bit we've had in 2021. The Bible has been translated into more languages than any other book. I'm told that if you take the Bible and you stack them, it would reach the moon and back three times, circle the earth 28 and a half times. I love the introduction to the Gideon Bible. Have you ever read it? The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here too, heaven is opened and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good, its design, and the glory of God, its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life will be opened at the judgment and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred context. So when we say, hey, you mind reading the Bible 15 minutes a day? This is what we're talking about. It's so good to be reminded that the Bible is inspired and authored by God. In fact, one of the best arguments that I've ever heard defending the Bible as the word of God is this. If the Bible is man-made, how come man hasn't created something else like it? With all of our technology and sophistication today, so this, this idea of the quality of the Bible, it's just not possible without divine guidance. I love how one kid put it, the Bible is God's epically awesome book. I like that. The, the Bible is God's epically awesome book. And as we approach the book of Mark in a sermon series, it's going to take us all the way up to Easter. This is a great reminder to keep in mind. That we aren't just reading opinion. We're reading the very words of God. Now concerning the book of Mark. Mark is, is what's classified as a historical narrative. It's, it's, it's history. It hones in specifically on the life of Christ. It's called one of four gospels. Um, did you know that there are four books of the Bible that tell the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So there's, there's not one. There's four different accounts 
of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So there's, there's Matthew. That's, that's my uh, middle child. There's Mark. That's my third child. <laughs> there's Luke. We don't have Luke yet, Kelly. And there's John. Now, just like in my family, Mark is the little guy, the book of Mark is actually the shortest of the four Gospels. Mark doesn't play games, and I, I think I know why, and I'll tell you about that in a second. But Mark is the one that is like, yo, immediately, this is what happened. And then immediately, follow the word immediately throughout Mark. Immediately, immediately. There's like an urgency in Mark. He's simple, he's to the point, it's the shortest of the four. See, there's the Old Testament, and, and how the Old Testament is framed, it's called the Pentateuch. Big word just means five. Five major books that kick off the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Just like that, there's four books that kick off the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so, so, so Mark is, a, is, is, is somewhat of a, a biography, an accurate biography, an inspired biography that provides us with the life of Christ. Have you ever read through a gospel completely? Make your decision on Christianity based on the Bible, not Christians. I feel like that just needs to be spoken in, in light of all the signs that we see at various events. The book of Mark tells the story of Jesus, his work, his teachings, his miracle. Miracles, his death, and his resurrection. Concerning the date of Mark's gospel, now listen, I got to tell you this, right? I always battle with, um, yeah, how much background do you give to a book? But I just remember, listen, I, I, I got to tell you my heart here. I just remember, I, I can't tell you like, oh my goodness, because I heard the background of a book, my life changed forever, right? Because I heard who the author was and the date. But when I was in Bible college, I was so hungry for God's word. I wanted to know everything. And I'd write it down and write it down. So I'm not just going through an exercise. I really have a desire to help people learn the word of God. So, so think of this. Jesus died 33 AD approximately. The book of Mark was written in 55 18. I know this is a super conservative date, but that's when Mark was written. In fact, if, if you read the book of Luke, Luke's not a thief, okay? Because he, he, he actually mentions that he compiled a lot, of, a lot of data to write his gospel. Well, if you, if you look at the book of Luke you'll find 350 verses in the book of Luke that are quoted directly from Mark. 350 of Luke's verses are taken directly from Mark. So concerning the date of Mark's gospel, I hold somewhere between 55 and 59 AD. Some of you might come back like searching this week, be like, I saw someone date it at 64 AD. All right. Okay. Concerning the author of Mark, who do you think the author of Mark is? Okay, so, so the author of Mark is Mark. 
And, and even though there's no reference in the book itself as to who is the author, everybody who's anybody in early church history attributes this book to Mark. Now, now throughout this series, I, I want to tell you... I want to tell you more about Mark when, when Pastor Eric preaches. He'll tell you more about Mark and, and Pastor Jason. Like, I want to get, because Mark is referenced more than any other individual except the Apostle John throughout the New Testament. I threw a few up there that you might want to jot down. Um, check it out this week. But I do want to give you one interesting thing about, about Mark right, right now. That even though uh, there's no like signature in the book that he, he wrote it, some believe that in Mark chapter 14, he actually gives a hidden signature. Now, and I want to show you this, okay? So in Mark 14, what you have is, is the moment that Judas betrays Jesus. And when the, when the soldiers... Lay their hands on, on Jesus. Do you remember what Peter does? He takes out his sword and he, and he cuts off uh, Malchus's ear. And Mark chapter 14 and verse 48 says this. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Now check out verse 51. It says, then everyone deserted Jesus. Everybody took off. They all fled. Except this one person in verse 52. Check it, check it out. In verse uh, 51, it says, and a young man was there. Now note the description. Wearing nothing but a linen garment. When they seized him, check out verse 52, when the, when the soldiers grabbed the linen garnet, garment, it says he fled naked. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about naked. I'm talking like naked, naked, fleeing. This, this young man runs away naked, leaving his garment behind. So you have this, this, this picture of this young man running through the night with no, no clothes on. And many have wondered, this is a serious moment in the Gospels. Judas just betrayed Christ. Everyone left Jesus, not a minor detail. So everyone's like, well, who, who's, this, who's this streaker in Gethsemane? Who's this naked, this naked young man? Such an obscure, comical detail found. Well, many, many scholars believe it's Mark. It's Mark's signature here in the book that he wrote it, because everyone would have known that detail. Anyhow, I just wanted to, to, to throw, throw, you, throw that out. Now, I, I, beyond the authorship, I want to tell you the most interesting thing that I've learned about the book of Mark this week. And, and here it is. The most interesting thing, something I did not know before, it's this. Although Mark is the author of the book of Mark, Peter is actually the source. So you could actually title this gospel the gospel according to Peter. And it makes sense. That Peter is always to the point. He's always pretty blunt. 
the word immediately completely fits with um, impulsive Peter. Peter's actually the source. So Mark's work is a record of Peter's account of the life of Christ. So Mark, Mark authored it, but Peter is the source. So when you're reading Mark, you're actually reading Peter. Um, I don't have time to go into it, but if there's a, a, a wonderful art article written by a police detective called uh, Cold Case Christianity where he defends Peter as the source of this book. Now concerning who received the book of Mark, it was, it was written to the Italians. Okay? It was written to a, a Roman audience. Uh, sometimes referred to as a non-Jewish audience, a, a Gentile audience. I mean, compare the book of Mark to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew was written to a Jewish audience. The purpose of Matthew is to, to show that Jesus is the Messiah. So there in Matthew you find lots of references to Jewish prophecy and Jewish history. And Matthew, what he does is he takes great care building his case according to Jewish prophecy. Mark gives little attention to Jewish history and Jewish scripture and, and Old Testament material because Mark was written to a Roman audience. In fact, we're told that he wrote the book from Rome. And the purpose of Mark is to show not primarily that Jesus is the Messiah, but the purpose of Mark is to show that he is the divine son of God. Look again with me at Mark chapter 1 and verse 1. Look at, look at the stated purpose here, the premise. Mark chapter 1 and verse 1 says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, even more the beginning of the good news about the Son of God. If you're looking for the bottom line in the Christian faith, our number one tenant is not in our political parties. That's not our number one identity. Our number one tenant is not found in our gender. Our number one tenant is not found in our race. For, for the Christian, the bottom line of the Christian faith transcends that. It, it wrestles with the question, is Jesus the son of God or not? That is the cornerstone of our faith. I mean, if Jesus is not God, if he's just a holy man or a good man or a morally upright man, an educated man, some Dalai Lama, then, then there is no Christianity. Here's how Oswald Sanders put it. If Jesus is not God, then there is no Christianity, and we who worship him are nothing more than idolaters. Conversely, if he is God, those who say he was merely a good man or even the best of men, are blasphemers. More serious still, if he is not God, then he is a blasphemer in the fullest sense of the word. If he is not God, he is not even good. 
I mean, if Jesus Christ is not true God, writes Dietrich Bonhoeffer, how can he help us? What's the point? If Jesus Christ is not true man, how can he help us? What's the point? I mean, if we don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, just like Metallica penned about it, nothing else matters. Nothing. Play that song over and over and over if your parents allow you to listen to that kind of music. Nothing matters. I mean, why follow him? Why read beyond Mark chapter 1 and verse 1? Why obey him? Why be a church that, that has a mission called making more and better disciples? Why engage in that process? Why get to know other believers? What's the point? See, the entire book of Mark works off of this divine premise and what's neat about the book of Mark is, is, is it forces a decision. Mark's like, look, verse 1, this is Jesus. He's the Son of God. And this is why he performs miracles and this is why he has the power to forgive sins. He's the Son of God. This is why he can heal. This is why he can bear all of the sins of the world. And oh, it's almost like a side note somewhat. And oh, by the way, did I, Mark, happen to mention the resurrection? This is why this guy can raise from the grave because he is the Son of God. So as a church, can we scribble one thing on the 24, 924 card that we're just like, God, I need healing in this one area, not because I'm a faith healer, not because I'm all hyper charismatic, but because we believe Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe? I think there's a total of 35 miracles in the Gospels that Jesus performs. 18 of them are crammed into the littlest of books. 18, like based on these 18 miracles, is Jesus the Son of God or not? And as Christ is being crucified on the cross, my own people, a Roman centurion, check out what he says. Christ is being crucified. Mark chapter 15 and verse 39 says, And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died. So many supernatural events in this one moment that this Roman centurion, he couldn't help but proclaim, Surely this man was the son of God. Contrary to the book of John, Mark is very to the point. Mark's gospel does very little philosophizing. Contrary to Matthew and Luke, the gospel actually starts with Christ's baptism, not his birth. Mark is not interested in character analysis, doesn't dwell on doctrinal development. Mark has an urgency. It's short, it's colorful, it's practical, it's powerful, and it is to the 
point. The book of Mark tells a simple story of Jesus without much background information. And then the book of Mark, here's how it ends, with a challenge. Mark's like, listen, Jesus is the Son of God. Believe and be saved. Don't believe and be condemned. That's all there is to it. You know, in a hyper-sensitive culture, sometimes we're afraid to offend. But I, what I appreciate about Mark and Peter is they're pretty to the point. And there's an urgency. Throughout the book of Mark, we're going to see various reactions of people to Jesus. And these are very carefully noted. This is a book of emotion. There are 23 references to people who are either amazed, puzzled, astonished, hostile, and perplexed. The book of Mark is all about action, reaction. You hear a miracle that Jesus does. How are you going to respond to that? So you can deny this premise, you can reject it, but you can never say that Mark doesn't teach it or defend it. Mark chapter 1 and verse 1 says the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. See, at Steamtown, we are we're trying to get people into the Bible. We're asking God to give you a hunger in 2021. See, part of my story is, um, you know, I, I grew up Catholic, and anyone that knows me knows I'm not a Catholic basher, right? I could, I, could, I could pick on any denomination, I could pick on any church, including Steamtown. I'm just trying to tell you a little bit of my, my story. I went to Catholic school, I was very familiar with the Catholic church and her practices, but there was one thing I never did. I was never encouraged to read the Bible, ever. Nobody ever encouraged me to read the Bible, the book upon which our faith is based. And, and listen, I was, I was searching. And sometimes people come to me, and you got to hear this. This is so important. People come to me, and they're like, where, where do I start? And I just want to give you a challenge to read the book of Mark every week leading up to Easter. You know, we talk about how are we going to make disciples at Steamtown? Bible, Bible, Bible. My, if I could chart out my growth plan, get in the Bible every single day. And if you don't understand a Bible verse, go to somebody who can show you in the Bible what it means. So even when you go to somebody, make sure it's someone that's using the Bible to show you why something is true. I believe one of the reasons that, that we, we did so bad in 2020 and why it was so embarrassing to watch Christians, and I'm not, listen, I'm not doing a holier-than-thou moment, but it was just embarrassing to watch the way that Christians reacted in 2020. Part of the reason is we weren't in God's word. 
Because there's something about the word of God that, that sets our heart and sets our mind and sets our will to the point where somebody looks at you and says, why are you freaking out? What sets you apart? Why would I even want to be a Christian? Listen, if you're searching, if you want to walk with the Spirit of God, faith, growing your faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing uh, by the Word. Don't start with doctrine. Don't start with a catechism or learning Latin. Just read the book of Mark and ask the Spirit of God to move in your life. My, my wife, Kelly, like we have, we have little ones, right? She has to get up at like, you know, 2 a.m. to beat the kids getting up. And she sits down with her, she sits down with her diary, her journal, and her Bible, cup of coffee. And she's like, Lord, I am getting ready for battle today. I got three boys. I need to hear from you. I need, because Dennis ain't doing nothing. <laughs> George is like, yeah, Dennis ain't doing nothing. They're going to be watching football all day Saturday, all day Sunday, every game, all times. And like, I, I listen, my, my wife, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I'm just, just like Hebrews 11, when you have examples of faith, I'm not using it to guilt you or shame you. I'm just saying that I've noticed in my wife a hunger for God's word. I was talking to a man this morning. He's like, he's like, dude, he's like, ah, you know I haven't been doing good for months. But I started getting up really early and reading God's word and like, Everything is changing. I'm like not freaking out on all my clients. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. To this point, Mark divides his book into three very simple parts. I'm going to give you an outline, whether you want one or not. <laughs> the outline is threefold. In chapter 1, from verses 1 to 13, we have the introduction of divine Jesus. Chapter 1, and verse 14, to chapter 8, and verse 20, we have proof of his divinity, namely through his teachings and miracles. Chapter 8, and verse 27, through... 16 and verse 20, we have proof of his divinity once again through his death, burial, and resurrection. In conclusion, next week we're going to get into the book of Mark. You know, at Steamtown, we really try to go verse by verse. But what I want to do right now is just give you... Uh, a minute or two of, of space. I want you to take out these 924 cards and say, Lord, here, my, my desire is to find healing and restoration and put something down. Here's an area in, 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 in my life 
that I'm desiring to find healing and restoration. After you fill out these cards, um, in the back right, hanging, hanging from the two pipes over there, is a frame. And we're asking you to, to clip the card to that picture frame. And we are going to make a commitment to pray as a church together for these things that we're asking God to restore and heal in our lives. And I'm excited. I'm excited to see what Christ does as we seek him and we go on this journey together. So at the end of the service, just clip your card up there. No one's going to be watching, being like, oh, that's what they're, they're struggling with. Uh-huh. Right? No one's going to be looking. And then just jot down on a piece of paper something for yourself that you say, you know what? I'm going to seek the Lord for healing in this particular area of my life. And look, this. I just, I just want to close with one final thing. There's a lot of people that are looking for hope and a Savior. And so I just want to add one other element. Maybe there's somebody that's been on your heart and mind that has not accepted Christ as their Savior. And why don't you pray for them throughout this series? Why don't you consider inviting them to come out to Steamtown Church as we go through this journey. Maybe there's someone that is, is on your heart and mind. And as we head in a direction as a church, I'm so excited for what God's able to do. Recently, we just um, hired a new pastor at Steamtown Church. And uh, in the weeks to come, we'll be doing some, uh, some posts online. Uh, so Pastor Eric Warner uh, starts tomorrow. And so we are, we are excited to have Eric... And so I just wanted to give um, that as an update there. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Lord, we come before you as a church, and we are, we are seeking healing. We are seeking restoration. We know that ultimately because of um, what you did for us, the gospel, that by your stripes we are healed by your wounds we are healed and so lord i just pray if there's anyone that has never accepted you as their savior this morning that they would do that and lord i just i pray as we have a moment or two of silence god that you would speak to our hearts as we think about what you are calling us to seek you for and we ask this in jesus name amen